Thank you, Ruthann. Thank you, Anita, for ministering in music. In light of Jesus and who he is, we want to be responsive to him and to his word. So we think about the scripture we'll be discussing this morning. I have here a piece of paper. It's pink on one side, it is white on the other side. If you were to look closely, you will find that I took two pieces of paper and I glued them together for them to become one. And in the context of what we're discussing this morning, that's what God exhorts the Pharisees to remember, that he took two and they became one. That was his desire at the beginning. Let's take our Bibles and turn to Mark chapter 10. We've been discussing Mark along the way, then we take a break and we'll interact with some other portions. But back to Mark chapter 10 this morning. And as we think about Mark chapter 10, the whole thrust of this section of Scripture is dealing with discipleship. And the condition for discipleship was given in Mark 8. 31 through 9.1, deny yourself, take up your cross, and follow Christ. Then immediately following that, he talks about the leader. He talks about Christ and the transfiguration. Christ is one worthy to follow because he is God, as was revealed in the transfiguration. He is worthy following because he is able to heal a boy. Then we find that the writer goes on to talk talk about the cost. That should be the cost, not the lost. My C was seen as an L. But the cost. Jesus says the cost of discipleship is that I'm going to be rejected. I'm going to die and then I'll come from the dead. The attitude of the disciple is one of humility. There's a warning against pride. There's to be mercy for the outsider. There's warning about causing the little ones to stumble. And then the necessity of suffering in fulfilling the kingdom of God. That brings us to chapter 10, where chapter 10 covers some of the claims of discipleship in the context of marriage, which we'll discuss this morning. He talks about children in chapter 10, 13 through 16. He talks about possession as he deals with a rich man in verses 17 through 31. He deals with the issue of status in 35 through 45 of chapter 10. He deals with the issue of responding to grace. In chapter 10, 46 through 52. So in the context of what we're discussing this morning, the context of discipleship, reading together Mark 10, 1 through 12. Jesus then left that place and went into the region of Judea across the Jordan. Again, crowds of people came to him, and as was his custom, he taught them. Some Pharisees came and tested him by asking, Is it lawful for a man to divorce his wife? What did Moses command you? He replied. They said, Moses permitted a man to write a certificate of divorce and send her away. It was because of your hearts, or it was because your hearts were hard that Moses wrote 
this law? Jesus replied, But at the beginning of creation, God made them male and female. For this reason, a man will leave his father and mother and be united to his wife, and the two will become one flesh. So they are no longer two, but one. Therefore, what God has joined together, let man not separate. When they were in the house again, the disciples asked Jesus about this. He answered, Anyone who divorces his wife and marries another woman commits adultery against her. And if she divorces her husband and marries another man, she commits adultery. As we interact with this passage, discussion, discuss a portion of it this morning and some next week, we're going to try to understand it in its context. Marriage and divorce in Jesus' day, as in ours, was a matter of great interest and controversy. In ancient Judaism, marriage was not regarded as a union of equals for mutual benefit of both husband and wife, but rather an institution whose chief purpose was the establishment and continuance of the family, whose chief enemy was childlessness. Mark's placement of Jesus' teaching on marriage at the beginning of this section signals the importance of the marriage union in the kingdom of God. In Judaism, the foremost responsibility of an observant Jewish male was the knowledge and mastery of the Torah, under which he was expected to order the necessities of life among them marriage. Jesus, however, teaches that marriage is not a male-dominated institution, but a creation of God, to which both husband and wife are equally responsible to practice discipleship and lifelong obedience. Now the text says, Jesus left that place and went into the region of Judea across the Jordan. Now, just for sake of where we are in terms of what is transpiring, Jesus would have been in this area of Capernaum. He would have left Capernaum, and there's some controversy over the exact pattern he followed, but would have left Capernaum and come down here across from where Jerusalem would be, would have ministered there in, for a period of time, And then as you read on in Mark, he would have crossed over and went towards Jerusalem. The text again says, they left that place, went into the region of Judea and across the Jordan. What is happening? Again, crowds of people came to him, and as as was his custom, he taught them. Here we have Jesus. The Son of God, he has been demonstrating who he is in his teaching and his actions. And as was his custom when people came, he taught them. Teaching was a custom of Jesus in his public ministry. You can look at Mark 1, 21, chapter 2 and verse 13, chapter 4 and verse 1, chapter 6 and verse 2, chapter 6 and verse 34, chapter 8 and verse 31. Jesus taught. Teaching was vital. And part of the reason it was vital is because Mark 8.31 would say that people are like sheep. I'm sorry, Mark 6.34 would say people are like sheep without a shepherd. 
But please do not think of teaching as merely classroom instruction because Jesus' teaching basically was in an informal setting. In homes, along the water, in public, but informal. And teaching was not merely what we might call doctrine, but how to live out each day. Teaching involved communication, whatever form that took, in a public setting. Now as the crowds came to him, he taught them. The text doesn't say what he taught, but he did teach. And just in way of some applications, teaching was central to the life of Christ. As the body of Christ, I think teaching needs to be involved in the ministry of a local church. In marriage, a husband leading, teaching his wife. Primary instructor for a wife should be her husband. In families, father leading and teaching as we look at the balance of the New Testament. And in the local church, pastor and elders also teaching. Now it is in this context of teaching that some of the Pharisees came to Jesus. They come to him to test him. See, the Pharisees don't have a good track record. In Mark chapter 2, when Jesus was healing a paralyzed man, they questioned Jesus in a negative manner. In Mark 2, when Jesus was in Levi's house, they again questioned Jesus in a negative manner. In Mark 2, they questioned him in a negative manner as he or his disciples were eating some grain. In Mark 3, when he healed the man with a shriveled hand, they again attempted to accuse him. In Mark 7, when the disciples did not wash their hands, they again came down pretty hard on Jesus. In Mark 8, 11 through 13, they're looking for a reason, or for a sign rather, and they're testing him again. So as you look at the Pharisees, they're always coming to Jesus, not with something positive, not with words of encouragement, but to test. And the word test means to interrogate. It's not a positive thing. So the Pharisees are coming to Jesus to test him. And their method is a question. Is it lawful for a man to divorce his wife? Jesus responds in verse 3, what did Moses command you? They respond in verse 4, Moses permitted a man to write a certificate of divorce and send her away. Now to seek to understand this text, if you have questions on this, you can ask me. We need to understand the culture. Women in biblical culture basically had no rights. other than in relation to a man, whether it be their husband, father, or son. It was rare for a woman in Jewish culture to pursue divorce in light of Deuteronomy 24. Men tended to pursue 
divorce. The Pharisees are coming to Jesus, and we need to understand that the Pharisees would have had the mindset that marriage is a disposable contractual agreement. Is it lawful for a man to divorce his wife? Verse 2 and verse 4, they say, Moses permitted a man to write a certificate of divorce and send her away. All Pharisees permitted divorce. The reason for permission was different. The Pharisees, according to Mark 7, overall had hard hearts. That was where they were at. Now, in relation to the Pharisees, there were two schools of Pharisees. The first one was the Hillel Pharisees, and they permitted divorce for any and every reason. A man's wife may spoil a meal, and he would say, well, I'm going to divorce you. She may walk around the house with her hair down, and he may say, I'm going to divorce you. She may speak disrespectfully of his parents, and he would say, I'm going to divorce you. He may find another woman that is more beautiful, and he would say, I'm going to divorce you. The Hillel group kind of permitted divorce for any and every reason. The Shammai Pharisees allowed divorce generally only if a wife was guilty of adultery. So it's the Pharisees that are coming to Jesus with the question, is it lawful for a man to divorce his wife? Either a yes or no answer from Jesus would arouse opposition and diminish his influence. If he opposed divorce, he would or could be in conflict with either the Hillel or Shama group of Pharisees, depending on why he accepted divorce. He would be in conflict with the Mosaic law. So first of all, he would be in opposition to the Mosaic law if he opposed divorce. But if he accepted it, he would be in opposition then or conflict with one of the groups of Pharisees. Basically, he's in a tough position. I want you to understand some history also. According to the Mosaic law, adultery called for stoning, Leviticus 20, 10 through 12. Therefore, remarriage was not an issue in the Mosaic law. A man or woman would be free to remarry if his or her mate was dead due to stoning because of Adultery. It is assumed those stoned were guilty of adultery. That was a Mosaic law. By the time of Jesus, the Roman occupation and its legal system had made the death sentence for adultery very difficult to obtain. Thus the Jewish practice had become substituting divorce for death. 
So if I were guilty of adultery, I wouldn't be stoned because it was difficult to obtain permission to stone me. I could be, my wife could divorce me. Thus, the rabbinical schools of Hillel and Shammai were not discussing whether divorce is permissible for adultery. It was taken for granted by all that that was the case. They were asking about the other reasons. I think that's important in light of the context. So the primary question was not, is divorce permissible for adultery? That's already taken care of the law. Divorce was taking place in that time because you could not stone someone guilty of adultery. They're asking Jesus about divorce for other reasons. Let's go to Deuteronomy chapter 24. The reason we're turning to Deuteronomy chapter 24 is because Deuteronomy 24 is what the Pharisees are appealing to. Deuteronomy chapter 24. We'll read together verses 1 through 4. If a man marries a woman who becomes displeasing to him because he finds something indecent about her, and he writes a certificate of divorce, give it to her and sends her from his house. And if after she leaves his house, she becomes a wife of another man, and her second husband dislikes her and writes her certificate of divorce, gives it to her and sends her from his house, or if he dies, then her first husband who divorced her is not allowed to marry her again after she has been defiled. That would be detestable in the eyes of the Lord. Do not bring sin upon the land. The Lord your God is giving you as an inheritance. I want to discuss this passage a little, make sure we're understanding it. Divorce for idolatry is not in the picture in the passage of Deuteronomy 24. Death was to be the penalty for adultery, not divorce. Divorce in this passage is a reason beyond adultery. Because if it was adultery, they were to be stoned. Apparently, God recognized the hard hearts of men. Men. Males. So they would pursue divorce. So Deuteronomy 24 has a purpose to protect women in an abusive Jewish culture. So I didn't like the meal Ruth Ann prepared yesterday, and I say, honey, I'm divorcing you, and she's gone. Don't even need a writing or anything, she's just gone. So, her and I were out somewhere, and I see some woman that I think is more beautiful, and I say, honey, she's more beautiful than you. I'm divorcing you. You're done. Abusive situation. The text is not to encourage divorce. Instead, the purpose ties in with to protect women where there was abuse. But divorce, we 
we need to understand, was contrary to God's design in Genesis 1 and 2. I think permissible in light of adultery. We could discuss some other texts, but we're in Mark right now. Deuteronomy 24 was to discourage hasty divorces by requiring a man to stipulate a reason for divorce in writing and forbidding him from remarrying that woman or his wife, the one who was his wife. It provided for a degree of dignity for the divorcee and apparently the right for her to remarry. This passage does not encourage divorce, but attempts to preserve an equitable ruling in the unfortunate event of divorce. The passage was intended to put a restraint upon an evil practice to prevent worse situations from arising. Now back to Mark chapter 10. In Mark chapter 10, we need to understand that both groups of the Pharisees, they had some similarities. They both permitted divorce, only for different reasons. Both used Deuteronomy 24, 1 through 4. Both focused on the husband's right to divorce. The wife is not in the picture. Both were seeking to learn how to fly an airplane, marriage, by following the instructions for making a crash landing, divorce. Ah, let's learn how to fly an airplane. Well, we learned to fly an airplane by learning how to crash land. Their focus was distorted. Both miss God's design, God's will for marriage, intimacy in the marriage relationship, and permanence in the marriage relationship. They miss that. Is it lawful, you know, to devote for a man to divorce his wife? What did Moses command you? Well, Moses permitted a man to write a certificate of divorce and send her away. When the focus is on divorce, whether it is acceptable, whatever the reasons may be, we tend to be like the Pharisees. We miss God's design, God's will for marriage. Why discuss divorce when it is contrary to God's desire, will, and design? And what is the response of Jesus in verses 5 through 9? He says, it was because your, hard, your hearts were hard that Moses wrote you this law. When he's speaking of Deuteronomy 24, which the Pharisees appealed to, he says, do you realize, Pharisees, that you Jews had hard hearts? You wanted a divorce. Your mind was set to divorce. So Moses gave this law to give some 
regulation, some control to your hard hearts. So you don't think your wife is beautiful, so you divorce her. She didn't cook a good meal, you divorce her. It's just because you had hard hearts. James Edwards says, you do not learn to fly an airplane by following the instructions for making a crash landing. You will not be successful in war if you train by the rules for beating a retreat. The same is true in marriage and divorce. Jesus replied, but at the beginning. But at the beginning. I'm not appealing to the Mosaic Law, Jesus says, but I'm appealing to the beginning. God made them male and female. For this reason, a man will leave his father and mother and be united to his wife, and the two shall become one flesh. So then they are longer two, but one. Therefore, what God has joined together, let man not separate. God made them male and female. This statement addresses the question of the Pharisees and many modern-day issues. It is very pointed, concise, and clear. Don't argue with the designer and his original and continuing design. God made the male and female. Now just stop and think, God made the male and female. That has tremendous implications for our culture and for the culture down through the ages. God made the male and female. Their question was about divorce. Jesus says, let me take you back to the beginning. But at the beginning of creation, God made them male and female. The next words in the text of Genesis would be as well as Mark for this reason. That is because God made them male and female. A man will leave his father and mother. Be united to his wife. United means to glue together or weld together. I glued these two paper, pieces of paper together. You can take two pieces of metal and you can lay them side by side and if you have a good weld, the weld is stronger. You're going to break that weld, you won't break the weld. The metal will break before the weld will break. Jesus says, made a male. He made them female. And he says, for this reason, the male will leave his father and mother and be united to the female. Will be glued to her. And the two will become one flesh. The two become one. To amplify these statements, Jesus says they are no longer two, but one. Thus the practical result, therefore, what God has joined together, let not man separate. What God has yoked together, don't let the man separate or disunite what God has done. What's he do? He takes him back to the beginning. 
God never intended divorce. The breaking of one male and female relationship. That was never his intent. Deuteronomy 24 was not given because God intended divorce. It was intended to control divorce because of hard hearts. And remember, God did make provision for immorality or adultery in the sense that, you know, people were to be stoned. Marriage involves the image of God and the relationship within the Trinity. Thus, divorce distorts that. To separate a male and female from the bonds of marriage for whatever reason is contrary to God's design. That's not what God designed. And that's what he's saying to the Pharisees. God has not designed that. And we live in a world today, just as Jesus did in his day and back in the Jewish day, where divorce was prevalent. Some of you here are divorced, and we'll respond to that somewhat next week. I'm not here to condemn, and I don't think Jesus is here condemning what has happened in someone's past. He's confronting the Pharisees. He's giving an answer to them, and he's saying to the Pharisees, look, here's what God designed. And if a divorce does take place, Deuteronomy 24 was to control that so that women were not just abused excessively. Please see and understand that context. You say, I know people who have been divorced or I've been divorced. Don't dwell on that. Focus on your present. God is gracious God is forgiving. Now, how did the Pharisees hear this portion of Scripture? The question asked is related to divorce for reasons beyond adultery. Divorce for adultery was acceptable by the Pharisees since stoning could not take place. The question is not about divorce for adultery. The context implies that adultery broke the marital, marital one-flesh union in a very deep manner, thus death. Divorce in the day of Jesus. Jesus would be saying, and the Pharisees, I think, would have heard it, there is no acceptable reason for divorce in light of God's design in marriage in the context that is beyond adultery. You say, Pastor, can you divorce for adultery? There was stoning for adultery, but during the Roman control of Jesus' time, there was not, stoning was difficult to do to get permission from the Roman government. So I think Jesus is saying, I'm not talking about divorce for adultery, I'm responding to you in light of the other reasons. God's design, he appeals to God's design at the beginning, was for people to be one. This relationship, or this revolution, this is a revolutionary, or this is revolutionary in a day when divorce was acceptable for any and many reasons beyond adultery. He takes divorce from a mind, takes them from a divorce mindset to a marriage mindset. 
Pharisees, you're worried about divorce. I want to take you to a marriage mindset. And I think the same is true down through the ages and in our culture today. We may discuss divorce and why may we have divorce, why may we not have divorce. And we may say, well, so-and-so was divorced and this person was divorced. And Jesus says, whoa, Rebecca paraphrase, whoa. I'm taking you back to marriage. One man, one woman, a male, a female, being blended together, intimacy, permanence, oneness. You got your focus wrong. It's not an issue of divorce. You're back to marriage. And I think the Pharisees heard that. And I think the 12 heard that because next, in verses 10 through 12, which Lord William will discuss next week, the 12 respond with some questions. Apparently the Pharisees and Jesus, Pharisees and the disciples of Jesus realized he was superseding the teaching of Deuteronomy 24. He was appealing to creation. Both groups of the Pharisees realized they were wrong. Since they focused on divorce, thus missing God's design, will, and desire for marriage. They focused on the crash, landing, rather than flying. If I raise questions in your mind, jot it down and give it to me. I'm willing to respond to it. I've spent a lot of time in this text. I've read a fair amount about the text. And it seems to fit the flow of the, where Mark is coming, or where Jesus is coming from. Are we like the Pharisees? The couple who remains married because they do not believe in divorce is very much like the Pharisees. Their focus is on divorce. Not on marriage and what God intended, the intimacy, the permanence. They miss Genesis 1 and 2, that is God's design, God's will for marriage. They also miss Ephesians 5, 22 through 33 of Christ and the church. A couple final comments. If you have divorced or you know someone who has divorced in the past, focus on your present marriage. Don't live in the past. Don't live a divorce-centered life. Live a marriage-centered life. Remembering Christ, there is grace and there is forgiveness. And remember also that in divorce, both do not always desire it. One may pursue it. But please get where Jesus is coming from. Let go of the divorce-centered part. 
and move to the marriage mindset. Because Jesus says, I'm taking you back to God's design. And I've sat through many a discussion among leaders, church leaders, pastors, trying to tear apart divorce and when's it okay and when isn't it okay. And they never get around to saying, this is what God said in Genesis 1 and 2. I think Jesus is calling the Pharisees back to Genesis 1 and 2. Jesus does not address those who had been divorced. He's merely answering their question, is it lawful for a man to divorce his wife, you know? Jesus is saying, I'm taking you back to the beginning. This is God's design. And because we live in a fallen world, there's going to be divorce, there's going to be remarriage and so on. But that's not his focal point. His focal point is going back to the beginning. Again, if you have questions, jot them down. I'll be willing to respond to them. Or if I didn't make sense, let me know. Just want to clearly communicate the text of Scripture. Read Mark 10 in light of the question the Pharisees raised, not what has happened in someone's past. Let's pray together. Father, we thank you for your word. And we know that there has been controversy or controversy many years concerning divorce and remarriage and so on, but we find in this passage Jesus takes them back to creation and what you design. May that be our mindset, Father, of what you design. May we not merely stay in a marriage because we don't believe in divorce, but seek to picture Genesis 1 and 2, the image of God, your image, Father, and the relationship in the Trinity in our marriages. We may know someone who has been divorced and remarried. May our focus not be on their past, Father, but on their present, just encouraging them to live godly. And Father, if we have been through a divorce, whether we were remarried or are not remarried, may our, again our focus not be on our past, but in your grace and Christ living in us in the present as we seek to live out your calling in a broken, fallen world. It's in Christ's name I pray, amen.